Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. We're going to speak to Michael Jackson's nephew in a moment. And the reason we want to talk to him is because tonight we want to remember the legend, the king of pop, Michael Jackson. And sadly, his downfall after he passed away. But let's remind ourselves first of the magic of Michael Jackson before we talk to Tash. This. could play probably a mega mix for a half an hour and still not get all the hits in that Michael Jackson had throughout his long career as a young boy with the Jackson 5 right through to his solo career and sadly since he passed away in 2009 and his hits still went on but of course his legendary was marred by the allegations of sexual abuse that were made particularly last year uh, it's the one-year anniversary of the Leaving Neverland uh, programme that was aired by HBO. James Safechuck and Wade Robson, of course, made very serious allegations against Michael Jackson. Two men, by the way, who never came forward uh, during the original case. Um, and this is the original case with Gavin Arviso back in 2003. And two men who never came forward before that and indeed were probably good friends of Michael Jackson. But what? where did it all go wrong? Uh, to tell us a little bit more and talk to us a little bit more about it is Taj Jackson, who's Michael Jackson's nephew. Uh, good afternoon or good evening, Taj, because I don't know what time of the day it is where you happen to be at the moment. <laughs> Uh, it's 1 p.m., so I guess that's uh, afternoon. So, oh, okay, yeah. all right. Well, Happy look, to be on. But before we go into talking about the bad stuff, and, I, and unfortunately we have to get to it, right? But before we talk about that, let's talk about Michael Jackson. I mean, you know Michael, obviously, since you were a child. Um, what's, yeah. I mean, what sort of man was he? I mean, we all kind of saw it from the outside, and he looked like the Peter Pan type person. It's how a guy that never really grew up. But what was he like to hang yeah. out with? What sort of guy was he had to have as an uncle? What was he like? 
Um, you know, obviously, uh, music-wise, he was our mentor, but even as a human um, being, he was uh, me and my brother's mentor because he just was such an amazing person and spirit. And, you know, I say that and people are like, of course, yeah, you're going to say that because you're your uncle. But, you know, I have many uncles. <laughs> yeah. And there, there was something about my Michael Jackson that, you know, he had a certain light to him and he had a certain innocence in terms of he never wanted to grow up. He, he was kind of um, stuck in his childhood um, because he was always kind of, um, he had to, I guess, relive his childhood because he didn't have one. I mean, really we, we, all, we, all remember those, we all remember those videos of the Jackson 5 when he was, I want you back at ABC and those videos when he was only probably, what, nine, ten years of age, was he at that stage? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, and he would be he would be in the recording studio, you know, recording it and see kids playing across the street, you know, at the parks and kind of be envious of them. Because, uh, because he couldn't, he, he couldn't have that public life. He couldn't have that public life. And also, he, you know, growing up a Jehovah Witness, you didn't celebrate birthdays, you didn't celebrate Christmas, you didn't celebrate Halloween. So there's a lot of things that, you know, socially, he didn't get to be involved in that in that childhood aspect of it so he spent most of his life trying to recreate that or live vicariously through someone um which i kind of understand as well because was he was he generous up, was he a generous man he was, ext- he was extremely wealthy too i'm too generous and i think that's the thing you know and we are going to go through leaving neverland stuff like that but you know they make it sound like they're special i mean michael jackson gave everyone everything you know whether it was ryan white who um you know, the, the, the famous uh, Ryan White, who was diagnosed with HIV and became, you know, um, one of the first kids diagnosed with HIV and AIDS. You know, he gave him a lot of stuff. And, you know, he paid for my high school and my college and stuff like that. He just, if he wanted to help you and he had money wasn't an issue for him when it came to that. It was more of, if you need the help, I'm here for you. And many people around the world have said that, but there's some, you know, he just wasn't selfish, and I think that was his detriment, was that he cared too much about people. And in the earlier days, when, when the tabloids kind of ran the stories of him in the oxygen tent and the and bubbles and the llamas, yeah. the llamas yeah. and all the kind of the silly stuff that we saw, how did that, what, mm-hmm. what sort of effect did that have on Michael when those tabloid stories were running, you know, suggesting he was asexual and all those, that he didn't ever have sex, for example, for his children? How do those stories affect yeah. him? You know, um, I can only say in hindsight, looking back now, I think that then he, he had the mentality, oh, well, if they're talking about me, you know, at least they're keeping me in, in the public eye. But I think when you have 30 years of that, it becomes very damaging because that becomes the narrative. And I think that was the, the problem is that he thought of it as silly things, but then it became something that people kind of thought were true. Mm-hmm. And I think that was that was the damaging part because even today there's things about the Hoxman chamber or you know or certain things that I'm like oh my gosh you know do you think he, do you think joke, he did any know? of that on purpose just to get a bit of publicity I uh, I think yeah I mean I definitely think so you know I think to keep himself in the public eye too but I I know with the oxygen chamber they took a picture while he was just in it trying it out for something. And they ran with that. Um, that, that so that he, was that he was sleeping in this like every day. Yeah, they ran with the story yeah, that yeah, he was exactly. sleeping in it every night. Yeah. 
Yeah, also, of course, and, never, and trust me, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the stories, uh, you know, which came up in the documentary, which we'll get to in a few minutes ago, about his skin and his vitiligo in his yeah. skin. I mean, yeah. and also the fact that his hair had caught fire during the Pepsi advertisement and he had done a fair bit of damage to himself. And I'm, I'm assuming, I'm only assuming that he had hair replacement of some description and then, you know, the plastic surgery to his nose. What, why do you, what do you think was going on in his mind that he became so body conscious? Why do you think he became so body conscious? I, you know, the thing is, is this, my uncle was just a perfectionist, but he also was an artist, you know, and I don't think he ever was happy with who he was. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just think as an artist, you're always growing, you're always changing. Um, it's the same reason why people that, you know, start getting tattoos and then they get another tattoo and then another tattoo and this and that. And I think that, you know, what was the troublesome uh, thing for my, for everything for our family was just that he became the poster child of uh, plastic surgery, even though, you know, half of Hollywood was doing it. He became the one that everyone made fun of. Well, I think, I think that, that was, was, was that tash because a lot of it seemed to go wrong. I mean, his nose, as we all know, towards the end of his life was in a pretty bad way. I mean, was it because a lot of that plastic surgery had gone wrong because maybe he had tried so hard for that perfection? No, well, no, the, his nose, uh, the reason with his nose is, which we found out with the autopsy, you know, which the public, I should say, found out with autopsy, is that he had lupus, you okay. know, and there's certain, you know, with vitiligo and lupus, and lupus is a skin disorder as well, you know, that can kind of, you know, cause sunken cheeks and, and cause skin deterioration in that way. And okay. so it's not uncommon to look like that. And But, you know, um, I think the autopsy proved a lot of things that, the po- you know, my uncle was not very good at defending himself. And I think that was the problem, too, because whenever he'd go out to defend himself, he became quite emotional. Like he put another, yeah, he yeah did. he'd become quite emotional or, or he put his foot in, in another problem, you know, okay. because he didn't understand society in that way in terms of how they looked at him. Yeah, I mean, I think he would even find it more difficult nowadays with social media because social media, oh. these pylons they do on social media. But, okay, but <laughs> I'm, ex- yeah. I don't think he could exist in this world. Yeah. Yeah, it would be very difficult for him. But, okay, in, in saying that, when you were a young boy, did you hang around Neverland? Were you there much? Oh, I was there all the time. I mean, um, me and my brothers, we probably, I, I think, you know, I'm one of the few people that have spent probably over 10,000 hours with them. Mm-hmm. In general, just, I mean, we were everywhere, you know, and, and I always consider my ble- myself blessed in that way because I got to spend so much time with him because I got to see the real person, the real human being. And I think that's why I got to spend so much time with him because I didn't want anything from him. I wasn't looking at him for a paycheck. I wasn't looking at him for, as a dollar sign. I was looking at him as my uncle, but also my friend. And I think that's what he loved about me and my brothers was just we we unconditionally cared about him. I mean, we we play one of your songs with I Hear in the Air all the time. Through uh, anything we play, we just played it there a few minutes ago before you come on. But oh, I mean, thank you. so and that would have been, I suppose, having him as a famous uncle, probably the most famous man in the world, actually. Um, I suppose that did help your career as well because, of course, he could give you some great advice. You, you know, you had the right contacts oh, yeah. with record companies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh, it, it definitely, you know, the thing is, is that curiosity-wise, it helped our career tremendously because a lot of people were interested in at least hearing the song, you know, oh, let me hear what it's about. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't believe the politics behind it. Certain radio stations wouldn't play us because they thought we had it too easy okay. or they wanted t- trips or they wanted trips to Neverland. You know, this was during the payola. Right, time. okay. So it was like, we're not going to play it because we want to we have a... Um, a um, 
a contest with with our winners who can win a trip to Netherlands. So we won't play it until then. What's, so in, it, what's with, in it for us? Like, yeah, I get, I get yeah. You. What's in it for us? We'll play it, but what's in it? And so, like, MTV never even played our video. I think they played it one time, and that was it. And so, and that's the height of MTV. So. There's a lot of things that went against us, but, you know, I'm not complaining because, yes, of course, we had, you know, the biggest artists of all time mentoring us. Mm-hmm. And, and so he also, we he also did backing vocals, I think, for yet one or two times, didn't he? Yes, for Why. Why he, well, Why was a song that was supposed to be on his album, on his, um, and it was written by Babyface, and he didn't have enough, he had too many songs on his album, so he's like, do you guys want this song? And we're like, yeah, we want it. You know, can we keep your vocals on it? And he's yeah. like, yeah, and so that's what we did, you know, and then, and that's one of our biggest hits. But we never asked, the funny thing is, we never asked him to sing on our songs. You know, in terms of I Need You, he sings. And we never asked him. He always volunteered to do that. And I'm so grateful. I think he really was trying to help us out and, and steer our career. Okay, well, sadly, we have to come to the difficult part of the conversation. And it's a year since the Leaving Neverland um, documentary aired. Now, of course, yeah. before mm-hmm. that, of course, you had the other case, um, obviously, with uh, Gavin Arviso back in 2003, which had yeah. a very damaging effect on Michael's health, I imagine, as well, because I think yeah. everybody noticed he kind of went downhill from there. Um, and, yeah. and I'm sure you well, were around yeah. towards that. And I, and I know Wade Robinson actually was the first person to take the witness stand in that particular case. <laughs> uh, for the defence, yeah. He was the strongest witness for the defence. He... Um, which is the funny thing about it is that people forget that Wade was my uncle's first defense witness, which is, you know, sets the tone for everything. And he, he, um, he had strong, you know, uh, I guess the other side questioned him about so many things. And he was not only credible, he did so much great, um, good for my uncle mm-hmm. in that way. And so it's just, it's weird to me to think, Okay, here's a guy that you know that supposedly claims that Michael Jackson molested him hundreds of times. So then, if I'm Michael Jackson, why would I want that guy on the stand at all? You know, he's, he's the in, last person he, want in case he broke or, he, or, or said something. With, uh, yeah, there's like you know, there's sheriffs, there's police officers. He says one word, you're going to jail. You yeah, know, he was in, he was in the know, best place to spill the beans, really, wasn't he? <laughs> he was the safest place he could possibly be to say something, but no. He said the truth, which is Michael Jackson never did anything. He comes out of court giving a you know a peace sign. You know, it's this is what bothers me about the whole Leaving Neverland is that people don't go far back enough to realize, you know, what this guy was doing tribute shows in 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 and he danced with he danced with Janet, I think, on the tribute show, didn't he? Yes, on on MTV tribute show, he danced with Janet. There's a you know behind the scenes. He's wearing this Michael Jackson, I think it's bad glove, and he's saying, you know, I want to feel, you know, I want, my, uh, I want Michael to feel my spirit or something like that. You know, I'm going to wear this this glove, and so it's like it's just it's hypocritical. But not only that, I can see it a mile away. You know, Wade's always been an opportunist, and I mean, you just follow his career, you can see it. Um, I don't have to say much about it, but I mean, through the people that he kind of leapfrogged from one person to the other to the other in terms of career. Career-wise, okay. Well, uh, the, with these two men, I mean, okay. Let, let's get to the documentary, okay? So, oh, yeah, uh, go ahead. Okay, Robson uh, and Safechuck. These two men, Wade Robson mm-hmm. and Mister Safechuck as well, and um, James Safechuck. 
they agreed to do this documentary for HBO. They said they didn't want any money out of it. They, uh, it, they kind of yeah. insinuated that money wasn't the motive. But mind you, we'll come to that a few minutes ago because they just won their appeal back in January um, to sue his two companies. <laughs> so that obviously, clearly, money was a bit of a, a motive. But anyway, um, yeah. they, they said yeah. the reason they're already coming forward now, particularly Wade said, because now he has children of his own. Um, he's older now and wiser. And he said it would be wrong of him to keep this secret any longer, I suppose, that Michael Jackson had abused him so many times. They went into great detail in the documentary. Did you, were you offered an opportunity or your family or any of your family offered an opportunity by HBO as a right to reply to that documentary? Of course not. And um, not only were we not offered that, I mean, Dan Reed purposely said that he didn't ask anyone. And not only our family, but any friends or anyone for Michael for the other side of it. Um, we begged to um, see the documentary before it aired. They wouldn't allow that. So, um, so we had no recourse of defending it before everyone else got to see it. And um, so th- there's a lot of unfair Well, well, Dan, things, well Dan, Reed, that, Dan Reed knows as well as anybody that the dead can sue. So, I mean, he could pretty much say yeah. what he wanted or they could say what they wanted in this particular documentary because the dead can exactly. sue. Exactly, and that's a, that's a great point. And that's the point that everyone thinks, like, oh, well, why don't you just sue them? If it's true, I mean, if it's not true, then why doesn't your family sue them? And I'm like, we can't sue them because there's no law that protects the dead from libel or slander. And so they knew that. And that's, and that's one of the reasons that this um, documentary was allowed to happen. But if it's not true, and if all these accusations mm-hmm. against, against Michael are not true, um, Michael would have been in Neverland. There would have been staff there. Surely the staff themselves then could make a, a case against, say, you know, Dan Reed or against a, a HBO or against anybody who's made an accusation because the insinuation would be that they allowed it to happen. Well, that's the, that's the interesting thing about um, leaving Neverland, which is different than the court um, that they're trying to sue for the uh, appeal. Because in the appeal, they do name... Um, the staff and and MDA productions and stuff like that, and so the, the the staff is allowed to defend themselves. But Dan Reed was very careful not to point fingers at anyone because they're alive and they can sue. Mm-hmm. So, and I even with Oprah's um, uh, Oprah Winfrey's uh, special, they took out the part that where um, Wade says something about the the um, MJJ staff and um, to protect. Wade, basically, because if that would have aired, and it was written about in an article, but if that if that would have aired, any one of those staff members could have sued them. Were you surprised? So, but were you surprised by the Oprah documentary? Because Oprah was a big fan of Michael's. She was a very good friend of Michael's. Uh, Michael obviously allowed her into his home for a, a special that she did herself. Um, I'm not saying that obviously if anything was going on, he was going to do it in front of her anyway, but in saying that, yeah. were, were you surprised that somebody who would have known him very well um, kind of turned on him in the end. I think Oprah, and I'm going to be careful how I say this, but I think Oprah is just, you know, you know, when you have opportunists like Martin Bashir or Oprah, they will go wherever they think, you know, the most ratings are in that case. So, and I so think that, that you're was the saying thing. that's where the story was and, and that's what the public that's want to hear. That's where the story was. And, yeah, and, and she didn't want to hear the other side. She didn't, want to, she didn't even care. She, she saw Leaving Neverland on her birthday on a yacht and so it's like, it's it's very um, clear to me that this was just an agenda to begin with. And, you know, you got to remember Oprah, you know, the interview with Michael was the biggest interview that she's ever done. It gave her record ratings and put her on an international level, you know, in that way. And so 
he did her a favor because he could have picked anyone to do this interview with and he picked her and it put her on the map. And then, you know, my grandma did an interview, which a lot of the family didn't want her to do Mm -hmm. when Michael passed, you know, my grandma and the kids did it because they didn't really like the 93 interview that uh, Michael had done. And so, you know, but Oprah promised, and I was there, so I heard this in my own ears. Oprah's like, you know, Michael was very misunderstood and we're trying to get to the bottom of this and we want the people to see the real Michael and you guys are the best people to see it. And um, so, you know, when people do those snake emojis, I don't subscribe to them, but I understand them because she sat there in my grandma's house basically saying that, you know, she wanted everyone to see the real Michael and then here she is. Okay, but you know, but here's here's funny. the question, and I know you're his nephew, uh, and clearly yeah, you know he meant the, he meant the world to you, and you'll defend him down to the ground. Okay, but there was a settlement of twenty three million in nineteen ninety three with Jordan Chandler, and um, there was a court yeah. case, obviously with Gavin Arviso in two thousand and three, which mm-hmm. everybody witnessed live on television on numerous occasions. You have these allegations mm-hmm. by Wade Robson and uh, James Safechuck. Yes, they, they obviously are going to sue his two companies. Um, but in saying yeah. that, they still made the allegations. Um, there were other mm-hmm. questionable... Be- the, the, his behaviour in general was questionable. And did the family ever say to him, listen, Michael, you know, this is the year 2006 or whatever year it what happened to be at the time. It's not really appropriate to be hanging around with 11-year-olds at, you know, at the age of 35 or 40. Did anyone ever say that to him? You know, um, I've said that to him, not in those words, because the thing is, is that, you know, when you know someone's heart, you're not thinking that. You're not thinking, you know, that's not something my uncle would be capable of. And I say that in a way that he just didn't think like that. You know, to him, those were his peers. And it was just so I understood it because I was outside the bubble as well. So I started hearing things about how other people were perceiving it. And I was like, and I asked him specifically about Gar- um, Gavin at one point, and you know, I said, you know, why did you risk it, knowing that the world could think of you this way again? And um, he said, with, specifically with Gavin, because a lot of people forget, Gavin had cancer, terminal cancer, um, when he asked to see Michael Jackson and hang out with Michael Jackson. And my my uncle's response was, I couldn't let this kid die. I just couldn't do it. And um, And so my uncle felt the need to reach out to him and help this kid. And and it did help him, you know. And and then in response, Michael got a knife in the back from it. But that's just how it is. So in other words, you believe that because you're rich, you're famous, the most famous person in the world, and you allow yourself open to people, people will take advantage of you is what you're suggesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, especially if it's it's a narrative already. And and people know that's your kryptonite, or people know that is what we can get you on. But did he? 100%. I mean, we, we, um, we've, heard, we've heard stories. Now, of course, Macaulay Culkin said, you know, and he would have been one of his best friends uh, when Macaulay was a kid. And spent the most time with him, yeah. I, and he's never said a bad word about him. But uh, to this day, and the argument is, well, Macaulay Culkin doesn't need the money because he's already got money. So, I mean, it's come, these are coming from kids who don't have money. Um, but in saying that, do you believe the stories, when you heard stories of, you know, that he was having sleepovers with kids and they were sleeping in the same bed? Now, I I don't know. And by the way, I probably believe there was no sexual attraction. I believe it was Michael maybe being naive. But do you, do you believe that he was sleeping in beds with children? Do you believe that was happening? I, you know, the word, it's, it's the word. <laughs> Why I'm laughing is because the word sleeping in bed always sounds sexual, no matter what. Of course, what yeah, no matter what way you, know, you word it, of course, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. 
you know, like, yeah, you know. I mean, I know, I know you've kids, you've kids yourself, and you know, you would sleep, you sleep in bed with your kids, yeah. Exactly, but I think the thing is, is that I was one of those people that you know had slumber parties or would watch movies and fall asleep in in my uncle's bed with my with my brothers and stuff like that, you know. So I do believe it because I, I I mean I do believe that nothing happened because nothing happened with us in that way. It was always innocent. It was always you know watching just a movie or whatever. And you know we always have to. Um, I think the the vision is oh you know him cuddled up to a kid and all that stuff and it. It's not like that at all, and it was never like that at all. You, you believe it would be more like, like a father, son, or two brothers uh, kind oh, of relationship, or two or two girl, two friends that are girls, you know, that are like you know, spent the night at, at Vegas and they're sharing the same room in the same bed, you know. But I think at the same time, I understand what people would assume in that way because you know they didn't live Michael Jackson's life, and I think that's the thing is that. None of us live Michael Jackson's life. None of us are trying to reclaim our childhood, mm-hmm. you know, um, in I mean, that I, way. I mean, I, I've, so, heard, I've heard stories of, you know, you and him and many other kids, probably your age at the time, playing hide-and-go-seek with Michael when he was in his 30s. I mean, that's the type of person <laughs> oh, he was. Oh, the 30s, yeah. I mean, we literally were having pie fights when he was in his 30s. We were throwing stink bombs out, you know, cars when he was in his 30s. And, and it actually, you know, to me, and I'm, I'm being completely, completely honest, I didn't want to grow up. I looked at it as like, this is the life. This To keep your childhood, to be a child forever is the life. It, it's, you know, it, I think as a society, we grow up too old and we start thinking about money and we start thinking about, you know, we get become cynical. We become very, um, I don't know. There's just the benefits of actually being childlike and keeping that, cre- not only the creativity, but that innocence of just being happy and, you know, watching cartoons and stuff. I still watch cartoons to this day, you know. And mm, I'm a bit like that, actually. I'm a bit of a big said. child myself. I love theme parks. <laughs> yeah, um, so what if someone said to you, why, you know, why are you watching cartoons? You're not allowed to watch it. You're an adult. And it's like, that's the thing. That's what society tells you. Oh, yeah. I'm, well, I'm, well, I'm and, going home tonight to play my PlayStation when I'm finished this, and that's the truth, yes, by the way. I, I know, I know. <laughs> okay, like, well, know, but, okay, then, well, let, let me get back kidding. to the seriousness, yeah. okay? Back to the, the documentary, go ahead, okay? Go ahead, go so, ahead, so go where, ahead. So where were you when the documentary was aired? Where did you watch it? Where were you at the time? I was literally flying to the UK to um, do some interviews, so I didn't see it when it first aired in H- on HBO. Um, I was on a plane. Um, so when I did my first uh, stint of UK interviews, I hadn't even seen it yet. Okay, so you, oh, that's right. You were, on, you were on Piers Morgan the next morning, actually, weren't you? Yes, exactly. And, right, and so I had to basically go on um, certain um, shows Defending my uncle without even having to see it, see it, which is the reason why I asked to see it so much earlier. Mm-hmm. And I know they were showing it to different journalists. They they were showing it to people, and and that was you know that was really unfair to me and and my family because you know we didn't know what to expect. Okay, but your reaction to it. Here's your uncle, the man. You're already grieving over the fact that he's dead, and he was such a big part of your life. He was such a big part of everybody's life in the whole world, not just yours. You had to share him with everybody else. So you're already mm-hmm. grieving over his death. You went through a tough time when him in 2005, um, when his yeah. health declined, and sadly, the way he died too is not the way people are meant to die. Um, and now, yeah. and now you have his name dragged through the mud by two men on television. Mm-hmm. Because they're making an mm-hmm. allegation of sexual abuse. Now, of course, we will mm-hmm. never know, never, ever know 
if they're telling the truth. That is the biggest problem for you as a family because Michael can never be vindicated because he's not there. He doesn't have a right to reply. So his only opportunity for a right to reply is you guys. But are you 100% sure, Taj? Can you put your hand on your heart and say, I am 100% sure that they are not telling the truth. They're making all this up. Or is there any doubt? Is there any doubt in your mind at all? Uh, if there was any doubt, if there's 1% doubt that my uncle could be capable of this, um, I wouldn't not only be on the phone call, I wouldn't have spent a year of my life defending my uncle because um, it's someone that I know, it's someone, and he, because he's not here to defend him, someone else has to in that way. And I didn't know James at all, like James Safechuck. I knew Wade very well, so that's why I knew he was lying. Um, James, I didn't know at all. And I hadn't seen the documentary yet. So I didn't, when I did the interviews in the UK, I didn't speak about James. I said, I don't know him, so I can't talk about James. It wasn't until James, you know, uh, the, the train station lie with James and yeah, if you could explain that to people for, who watch the documentary, the, inco- <laughs> the inconsistencies. Okay, so James mentioned the train station and, and, and the train station he mentioned was which one? He mentioned the main train station. You know, there's only one train station. There's a small, like, train station but it's not even um yeah it's, it's a train michael used uh, to sit on and all the kids used to sit in the back of it yeah that, yeah, yeah. That. it's not it's not a train station's a train station and so james says that he got molested upstairs he uses the word upstairs in the train station um according to wade's own deposition in 2014 he um he claims his abuse was from um sorry i'm just looking he claims his abuse was from um 88 to 92 and it stopped there because Michael be- became disinterested. Well, the train station permit to actually build a train station wasn't issued till 93, and the, play sta- uh, the train station wasn't built till 94. So basically, there's a two-year discrepancy in um, James's thing. So he got abused in the place that didn't exist. And he's, he's, he's mentioned other places like the pool, uh, the jacuzzi and all that, which is in plain sight for any worker to see in Neverland. You know, he's mentioned all these places. The the argument would have been, yeah, but the argument by those guys is that the workers would have never questioned Michael because, of course, they were being paid uh, by Michael Jackson. He was their boss. I mean, you you make more money for going against Michael than you do for defending Michael. You know, I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, that's the, if, if right now, if I was someone that had seen something, I could be on every station right now saying something and making a ton load. You know, defending Michael's where you don't make any money. It's costing you money to defend him. It's I mean, costing, okay, but you, can you benefit at all? I mean, Kataj, and I just want to be fair to people listening. Do you benefit at all from Michael's estate? I benefit in the way that it, it, it's my uncle's legacy. I, I mean, it's my name. Okay, no, but what you I'm, what I'm saying is that these two guys are going to sue his estate, probably for hundreds of millions, um, uh, because they, they've now been given the go-ahead in January by the appeal court. Um, basically yeah. to go, I, I'm going to read it out exactly as it says as, it, as it's worded here okay uh, basically they've been given where's, where was the wording of this this was in January and yeah. they were given the go ahead basically to sue his two companies is that right? yes yeah okay mm-hmm. uh, which they had been restricted in doing before um, so they, yeah. Michael's estate stands to lose quite a substantial amount of money if they're successful um, does that affect yeah. you at all? Do you get royalties from Michael's music um, personally yourself? If I oh, 
if I did, I would be the happiest person on earth right now. <laughs> if I got 1% of what Billy Jean did, I would, you know, mm-hmm. um, no, I did not get any royalties from it. None of our family does actually, besides his kids, um, and his mom, they're the beneficiaries of the estate. And so, you know, I'm doing this because I love my uncle and I know he's innocent. And so, and yes, because I'm a Jackson and because, you know, my name is tied to that in, you know, for good, for better and for, or worse. And, you know, I've taken, I've been so privileged my whole life to be a Jackson um, and proud of it. And I still am. So in, in that way, yes, I am defending him because it's our legacy. It is our legacy. You know, not only his legacy, it's the Jackson legacy. And how are the children now, by the way? Because, of course, the children are a lot older now. Um, they're all yeah. in their late teens now or early 20s. Uh, so how are they now? You know, when it, for, when Leaving Neverland first hit, it was very hard because we bear, we were pretty much voiceless. Like, we didn't know what was gonna, it was going to be about, basically. I mean, we had the summary of it, you know, but we didn't see it. We weren't able to see it. And it, so it was just, it was almost like an incoming missile bomb hitting you. And you don't even know how, what the impact is going to be. Who's going to believe it? Who's not going to believe it? And are you going to have a chance to defend yourself? And so that was the hardest thing, I think, for them because, you know, um, BG, which is Blanket, was still at school. Well, we all, we, we, the, only, the only thing we all know about uh, BG is that he was called Blanket. And the reason he was called Blanket, of course, because he had a blanket over his head and he was dangled over the balcony of, a, of a, a building, a hotel. We all remember that. That was a long time ago now, but it just goes to show you how quickly time passes. But Paris, yeah, obviously. Yeah, now he's 18. Yeah, and how old is Paris now? Oof, I think, oof, don't quote me on, on ages with them. Um, I don't know how old Paris is. She'd be in her 20s. Because um, I don't know the age. Yeah. Oh, be, she's in her 20s. Yeah, okay. But yeah, and I just she, don't know She exactly seemed to be taking it pretty bad. She's had her own issues. We've read about those in the paper, and she's had her own yeah, issues. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, the thing you got to remember is that this hits everyone. This, you know, when when I've read some of Paris's comments back in the day, and, you know, you have people that are on social media saying your dad was a, was a pedophile. Your idol was a pedophile. Go kill yourself. You know, these, these were on her Twitter comments. And so I would get so angry about them. And, you know, certain people don't even realize that that's a human being on the other side. Well, it's her father. It's her father. And that's the person she looked up to. And, and at the same time, it's, it's frustrating because, you know, he's no longer here to defend himself. So it's like, what can you do about it in that way? Well, I know that you sent a tweet directly to RTE, which is the national station here in Ireland, um, about not yeah. playing Michael Jackson's song um, and um, and his music. And um, we, by the way, ever even actually, I remember the day of the documentary I was on the air here. We were talking about it, and we played his music. I made sure that we actually played it that particular day yeah. because I didn't, yeah. I didn't want to be seen to be jumping on some sort of bandwagon. But in the United States now, the airplay for Michael Jackson, what is it like? Has it dropped drastically? No, that's the amazing thing about it. You know, when, when Leaving Neverland hit, there was like a little time period where, every, you know, was that, okay, are, is people canceling them or are they not canceling them? You know, Canada didn't stop playing them. You know, The Simpsons pulled an episode and all that stuff. But at, little by little, as, as the lies started to happen, as facts started to happen, and people started, and, and the, the Leaving Neverland started getting debunked, Secretly, people started adding them back to the playlist and, you know, and, or they wouldn't apologize and say we were wrong. They just would secretly add them back like, oh, here he is back in the playlist. And so 
a lot of that has been undone. But also, I mean, his streaming and airplay is up. His his um, his YouTube channel thing is up in terms of subscribers, in terms of what it was a year ago. Um, even before Leaving Neverland hit, it was stagnant. So it's actually caused more people to discover him. And what would you say, if you, I mean, if you could say something to RT, if any of their, their staff happen to be listening now, which sometimes they do, we are, we are the most popular nighttime show in the, in the country. So what would you say to RTE, if you could say, because I know you tweeted them the other day, but I don't know whether they replied yeah. to you or not. What would you say to them? Well, for me, you know, it's fairness. It's consistency because, you know, they're playing other artists that have admitted to sleeping with underage uh, Chubby Checker? Kids, you know. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to... You, you, people can do their homework. Elvis Presley? I'm, I'm going to take, take a page from my uncle who never talks bad well, about... Just, I mean, artists, Taj, just say it. Chubby Checker, Elvis Presley, and many others. Um, they're all there. And, yeah. and, and, and the thing is, is that's the thing. And so don't be hypocritical. That's all I'm saying. Like, you know, and that's how all I've, we've ever asked for is fairness in our family. You know, treat everyone the same. If you're going to... It, don't say that Michael Jackson's this, 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 and you're going to give someone else the benefit of the doubt or go research them. Research my uncle as well and find out that, you know, these things are lies. Like, give him that benefit of the doubt that you would give other people. It, mu- it must have been tough. And I, and I know, and I appreciate your statement, me, by the way, as long as you do, because it's intriguing. Of course, to no. Story. This is, but it must, it must have been tough. You plain as well. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. I, it must have been tough to watch the world turn against Michael. I mean, right back from 2005, I suppose, when the original court case happened uh, with um, Gavin Arvisa, uh, right up to mm. his passing and then to when these two guys, there was a kind of lull, I suppose, after he died and a great interest in Michael Jackson and his popularity again. But then these two guys come along and make these allegations. It, it must have been very tough for the family to watch the world turn against the man who was the most popular man in the world. Yeah. Well, especially on his 10-year anniversary of his death. That's why I think it was calculated. Leaving Neverland came out on his 10-year anniversary. Um, I, you know, 2005 was hard because, and I lived at Neverland with my uncle during the trial because I wanted to be there with him and support him. And so I saw people that supposedly were his friends, whether it was his Hollywood friends or his music friends, and they disappeared and wouldn't return his phone calls. And I think that was what was so hurtful. And then, as you said, then 2009, people started celebrating him again because he passed and all that stuff. And then now we are, you know, and those same people, are, a lot of those same people are hiding again. And I why, just think by the way, it's why so... Did he, um, why did he, sorry for interrupting you, but why did he agree to do that tour in the UK, um, the, the tour that he was meant to do just before he passed away, when he, that he was rehearsing for, when he was clearly unwell? I mean, I, I think everybody knew he was unwell. Why, why do you think he agreed you know, to do that? Did, did he need money? Was he? I mean, I know there was a lot of uh, stuff going on with the Beatles royalties and all that kind of carry on at the time. But yeah. did, did he need money? Was he stuck for money at that stage? You know, the, the, what people don't understand, I mean, he had a billion dollar catalog. So it wasn't the money. I mean, if you really needed the money, he could have sold the, that catalog. I think what it was, you got to remember, his kids had never seen him perform ever. And I this this show was supposed to be the last chapter of music where he was going to go off and do films. And also, um, since I was privy to see, you know, what my uncle wanted to do with AEG, they, they also promised him that they, he'd do films. Okay. And so this was kind of a launch pad for him to go and do films. That was part of the agreement. So it was like, okay, that's why it was, this is it. Like, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to go off and do films and he, they're going to fund my first three projects. And so, 
And what's, what sort of films? What sort of films was he going to do, Tash? Uh, well, he had one. Um, he had a King Tut one that he was going to do that he was really excited about doing um, in terms of um, it, it, the whole story of King Tut, Egypt, and all that stuff. Well, he kind of dipped his um, toe into that in one of the music videos, didn't he? With him, yeah, exactly. Remember the t- no, but he, I mean, you could go to his house and he had poster boards and stuff like that, and and you know, um, it was visually he had it. He was that was his next thing that he was going to do, and you could see it coming together by the, each time you visit it. And I just, it's, I feel like the world lost, you know, something because we didn't get to see what his next chapter would have been. And I think it would have been amazing. I mean, you said what film, I just look at his music videos. I mean, I think, I think he would have probably done a mix, not for King Tut, but I think he also would have dipped back and probably brought back the musical to the point where, you know, mm-hmm. um, glorified again. Well, he, well, he did change. I mean, look, he, everybody uh, recognized the fact that Michael Jackson changed the music video, particularly when he did Thriller and he got John Landis, who was the director of American Werewolf in Hollywood, to direct his music video, which was unheard of at the time, to get a movie director to make a video for you. And that, of course, was massively big because the full-length version of that was like 10 or 15 minutes long with all the makeup and everything else. So he (laughs) he also went to a lot of trouble for that particular video. And then, of course, every single video he brought out after that People waited with bated breath till that video was released. Yeah. I mean, there were different times, yeah. I understand. But, you know, it, it is sad to see uh, some radio stations not playing his music. Not all, but thankfully not all anyway. But some radio stations not playing his music. His music is still selling, I assume. I assume. Oh, you- it's beyond selling it. I mean, Thriller, is, especially it during Halloween, you know, people are still... <laughs> Dancing to it, people are still bumping it in the clubs. People are still bumping it. You know, the the idea of trying to cancel Michael Jackson failed, and I think that was their first and only chance to do that. Was then because they had they put so much muscle behind it with Oprah, with HBO. I mean, these are powerhouses. And at the end of the day, and I always said this, and I always and I believed it. If you if you actually look at my tweet, I never really panicked about it because I always, as long as the fans were there. And the fans had my back and I had their back. I knew it was, it was survivable. It was going to be a big blast. But at the end of the day, I believed in the truth. I'm looking at some of the texts coming in. Somebody said, it's wonderful to listen to Taj and somebody defend Michael Jackson. I've been a big fan for years. Uh, thankfully, uh, Niall, you're bringing somebody on the air to defend, defend him eventually. Another person said, Robson and Safechuck will be destroyed by liars, liar, lawyers uh, in the courtroom. Oh, 100%. Uh, because they won't have a safe space like it. the documentary they had. I welcome it. And, and, the thing, and that's the thing, like when you talked about they're suing again, I welcome them to go to court because every time they go to court and their deposition, they contradict themselves from the, de- the 2014 deposition and the 2016 so, deposition. So you believe, you believe they're, they're, they'll be unsu- unsuccessful? Oh, because they've told three different versions under oath. So all someone has to do is, is talk about that. Can, and, can I ask you a question? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not a legal expert, right? But if he told, if Wade Robson uh, defended Michael Jackson as an adult um, in the 2005 case uh, with Gavin Arviso and said that Michael Jackson couldn't have done under or oath, didn't, yeah. Yeah, under oath, and then went on a documentary to say, actually, no, that's not the truth at all, uh, he's a child abuser and he abused me, surely he's committed perjury. Yes, but it's up to the, that um, county and that state to... To, um, and they've made no qualms that they won't do that because they're after Michael Jackson. Um, now, that's the thing. Like when you have your own county and your own state, 
going against you in that way. And so if if he did do that, he'd be very, I'd be very worried, you know, in terms of for him, I'd be like, oh, you're going to perjure yourself again. But they have no fear of that because the same people that are trying to destroy Michael Jackson are on their side in terms of that, you know, so and, and, they, they don't have to worry about that. They could tell 5,000 different stories. And that's why the judge, you know, throughout their case this, that other time in terms of it, because they, they're not very believable. Well, look, it's been a wonderful When interview. there's not a Hollywood production behind them. Sorry. It's been a wonderful interview. It's there. lovely talking to you. And, and as I said, the final word I'll have again is, and sadly, the saddest part of this whole interview and the saddest part of everything that you will ever say is that we will never, ever know. Because, unfortunately, Michael is not around. His spirit still lives on, of course. But Michael mm -hmm. is not around to defend himself against these allegations made against him, which sadly did damage his career. Um, obviously, you've mentioned the fact that you believe uh, there's a great interest in Michael again. Uh, but, but sadly, it did damage his career at the time and the way maybe some people thought about Michael, uh, which is very sad in some sense. But, yeah. indeed, but if, they, well, if I, they were telling the truth, of course, it's not sad, but we'll never know. Yeah, well, history has a long memory, and that's the thing that I always, you know, I'm excited about is that, you know, the truth will come out. It might take some time or it might not, but, you know, I, I'm still very uh, hopeful that things will change around even more than they are. Well, listen, I really appreciate you coming on the air, and thank you for staying longer than I imagined you would say, um, Tash Jackson. <laughs> no worries, no worries. All right, thank you very much indeed. All right, I appreciate you coming on the air. There All you right, go. take care. Taz Jackson, Michael Jackson's nephew, who still maintains, of course, and still defends Michael Jackson, his uncle, as he probably would. But I've asked him the question, was he 100% sure that Michael Jackson wouldn't have done or couldn't have done anything like this? And he said, absolutely 100% sure. And also, he's deeply upset that RTE are not playing Michael Jackson music, so much so that he tweeted them directly, uh, only there the other day. And you heard his message to RTE as to why they should and should, shouldn't play his music, that to give him a fair trial. In other words, they play music from other individuals, who we know, by the way, uh, from their history. But again, different times, I understand, for all the Elvis fans out there getting all really annoyed. Elvis was dating a girl uh, that was 14 years of age at the time, as far as I remember. Priscilla Presley, she was only 14 years of age at the time. Um, it was different times, you know, going back to the 1960s. Uh, Chubby Checker, of course, his girlfriend at the time was quite young. Um, there was a lot of pop stars at the time would have been dating very young girls because somehow that was morally acceptable in those days. And yet we'd play their music. And um, there was a lot of other criminals, pop stars who'd been criminals, and we'd play their music. Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic.